Good morning, welcome all friends, guests, to week two of our current teaching series at the movies. And this series, what we do is we take current movies that have been released recently or just still playing in the movie theaters, and we look into the story of each film, and we sort of mine, we pull out you know, a, a topic or a theme, and then we see what the Bible teaches about that topic or theme. We attach it to something that's relative to our relationship with God and to our lives. Now, as you know, the, the movie we're talking about today is Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom. I almost said Jurassic Park. I really did. Uh, it's just, it'll always be Jurassic Park to me. That said, so the, the movie, it, sets, it, sets, it's, uh, it takes place on this island near Costa Rica, and, you know, and the main characters are Owen and Claire, Guy Gal, and they are setting out on a mission to rescue the dinosaurs from this island, because there's a volcano on the island that's going to set to erupt. It's going to destroy everything, including the dinosaurs. Now, the backdrop to this is uh, prior to them setting out to get on their rescue mission, Claire had been lobbying the United States government to intervene to save the dinosaurs. And it was this sort of a Senate hearing, you know, uh, come together with these politicians. And, and there's one exchange at these hearings. Now, the Senate eventually decided that they would not intervene and they would not help save the dinosaurs, which set Claire and Owen out on their mission. But during the exchange of conversations at the Senate hearings, there was one um, discussion between, uh, we'll call him professor, if you will, he's kind of a mathematician scientist, uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm, and one of the senators. And the senator makes his comment, and he says, perhaps the almighty God is taking the dinosaur matter into his own hands and deciding the creature's outcome, meaning with the volcano and the eruption. To which Dr. Malcolm replies, God has nothing to do with this. And he says that statement, God has nothing to do with this, in, in sort of, I don't know, maybe a, a smug way, but perhaps even referring to not just God has nothing to do with this matter, yes, his existence isn't here, but God just even doesn't exist. And I mean, he's a scholar and he's a doctor, so certainly there's a credibility attached to him in the movie. And you wonder if that's a common exchange that would be taking place in our world today. God has nothing to do with this. And often, like in the movie Jurassic World, the conclusion would be that God did not have a hand in what was going on. I mean, after all, it's dinosaurs. Certainly dinosaurs would prove that God, you know, didn't create the world. God had nothing to do with dinosaurs, even though the Bible talks about dinosaurs, makes reference to dinosaurs. There are some incredible theologians and creationists that support God creating dinosaurs. But somehow, it's just assumed that dinosaurs are evidence of God's hand not being present, right? And if God's hand is not present here, then it's probably not present here and maybe not here. And if we see this inconsistency of God not being here and not having a hand in this or that, then perhaps it's kind of, you know, sustains of God not creating the world, right? And if God not creating the world, God not creating you or me, and if God not creating you and me, there just isn't a God, right? You are not created by God. As a matter of fact, God didn't create you. You created God, right? And that's something we hear a lot. It's a kind of a figment of our imagination, something that we've emotionally contrived to, to just to, to be a balm to our difficulties and emotions, perhaps. God didn't create you. You created God, which I might get to eventually. Man, I'm thinking if I created God, this would be one ugly thing, right? You know, if I created God. So I, I would disagree with all of that, 
with God being absent. I certainly would disagree with me creating God, meaning that it's just in my mind. I would respond with this, God created us. Wholeheartedly, I emphatically believe God created us. And, it, and here's it, this isn't just any truth. It is the truth. It is the foundational truth of our existence, of our humanity, of our faith. God has created us. There's no greater truth that you know than this one. God has created you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we live in a culture and in a country where the existence of God is no longer, for the most part, assumed. It's not considered to be a fact. And, and believers, those who are followers of Jesus, would say, I believe in Genesis 1-1 that God created the heavens and the earth. We would prescribe to that. But I would ask you today to just pause and search yourself and say, how much does that truth resonate in you? What does it mean to you that God created the heavens and earth, but that God created you? When that truth settles in, does it bring you comfort? Does it resonate in you? Does it uplift you? Because it simply must, because it is the foundation of your faith. It's the foundation of your existence. And what we believe about God in creation is going to affect how we approach life, how we see life, how we interact with things going on in our world, how we see ourselves. Why are we here? How do we get here? God created you and I. God created the universe. And when it comes to humanity's existence and how it came to be, there's many, many theories. And theories is something that would be more substantial or thoughts, ideas, whatever, less substantial. But I'm going to just kind of categorize them on three things quickly for the sake of this sermon this morning. Like, although there are many of them, I really think they fall into kind of three categories, uh, three thought groups. And the first thought group is how the world came to be, including you and I, is that everything came from nothing. So really, the, the bottom root of several theories is really everything came from nothing. Now, to accept this, you must believe that there was nothing in the beginning. No energy, no matter, and certainly no God. Problem with that. We're not being sarcastic or mocking, we're just trying to be reasonable here. And that is that early on, even maybe the first grade, when you were learning perhaps your first mathematical equation, it was, looked something like this. Zero plus zero equals what? Zero, right. <laughs> and that's because you can't put nothing together with nothing and come up with something. It's just not rational, it's not logic, it's not scientific. Now, though a good number of scientists have moved on from that, it still is out there. Many of you came up with that as a dominant way of disputing, you know, God creating the world from this theory of that everything came from nothing. And it doesn't make any sense because nothing plus nothing equals nothing. Now, there's another thought and approach to creation, to how this all came to be, and that is everything has an impersonal beginning. And again, they might, these theories might be termed different things, but it really, if you look at the root of it all, it's coming from this vein, everything has an impersonal beginning. And that means in the beginning, well, there was matter. We don't know how it got there, but there was matter, there was material, there was substance, there was cell, there was bacteria, there was energy, but no God. And then, you know, the Big Bang Theory is one that would fall under this one. 
I don't mean Big Bang, the TV show. I mean Big Bang, the theory of how the Earth got here. And that, and that, that Big Bang says, okay, so there was energy, and there was particles, and there was motion, plus time, plus chance, and just extraordinarily, wow, we had this incredible universe that we live in today. Now, that's very impersonable. There's nothing personal going on. Think about it. If there was an impersonable beginning, then everything in creation should be impersonal. That would be the consistency. It would correlate. Now, to be impersonal means not to have a connection. Actually, Webster's even says not having human qualities or characteristics. Now, I want to play a scene from the first Jurassic World movie, not the one that's out there right now, but from the one that came out about two years ago. Um, I do think it was in the summer as well. Uh, now, in this clip, you're going to see a lot of consistency. You're going to see the two main characters, and that's Claire and Owen. You're going to see them on the same island with the dinosaurs, and you're going to see something, a characteristic that's going to uh, be omitted, for, not omitted, that's going to come from them that is consistent in the, the movie that we are looking at today, Jurassic World 2. Again, something about them that is very humane that we see in the clip, but also in the movie that we're talking about today. So did you see some emotions portrayed in that clip? Some very human emotions? Maybe not only in the characters, but even within yourself. 
if we had an impersonable beginning, we would lack empathy, we would lack sympathy, we would lack such emotions. Where did they come from? But we are beings that have empathy and sympathy, and we do care about others, other living things. Even in the movie Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, there's a scene where Owen and Claire have now made it off the island. The volcano is beginning to explode. The island is beginning to implode, fire, lava, and they get onto this barge, and they're looking back now to the island, and there, in the horizon of the flames and the devastation, they see right on the kind of the beach's edge, the edge of the island meeting the ocean, they see kind of the silhouette of a large, I think it's Brontosaurus. And this is really, and you see a sadness come over them as they realize it's just going to be, it's going to, to die. It's going to be taken in by what's happening. And even if you were in the theater, people kind of was hush. And really, it's kind of caused a social media stir out there with people talking about how they were traumatized, and I'm not going to go there, but traumatized by witnessing that and what was going on. And all it's saying is that we are emotional beings, that we have empathy, we have sympathy, we care, we have feelings, and that's not impersonable. It's very personable. And that's because we were made by God and we were made in His image. And what about all the diversity that exists here when we talk about impersonable? We're so unique, each one of us. Not the way we look, our personalities are so different from one to the other. This is so, this is about personality. Nothing bland or stale, nothing like a table or like a stone or like something of a material. Where did this come from if we were, if everything came from an impersonable beginning? So that brings us to now the last category, and that is the last thought, category of thought when it comes to how creation came to be how we exist, and that is everything has a personable, a personal beginning. That means there was a creator, there is a creator. A personal, intelligent, caring creator has thought this through. And this is the one that makes the most sense. It's not ignorance. It's not absurdity. It's not contrived. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I truly believe this to be fact. I think there's a plethora of evidence to support this, but really, if we just look at it from a sincere, common-sense way and look at how we interact as human beings, how we were so uniquely different from all other creation in ourselves, we would say, wow, there is something personal about this. And the key word here is created. God created, created. I don't think I created God. In my mind, I think he created me divinely. You see this creation theme going from all the Jurassic Park into the Jurassic World movies. It's, and what you see a lot is, is that men and women create something and it doesn't go well. Every movie, men and women are creating a dinosaur, dinosaurs, and it doesn't go well. Kind of what I referred to in the beginning of the sermon here when I said, wow, if I created God, <laughs> it would not go well, right? There would be no consistency to God. There would be massive voids, massive errors. It would not be something that, that the Bible is the most read book and the most purchased book every year, year after year in the world. Hundreds of millions of lives have been changed by holding to these truths of God. 
if man created this, certainly this would not be something reputable that we could hold to and stand on that would be consistent through the centuries. I know if I created it, it would be a train wreck. It would not hold water. I'm re- I mean, it's just even at our best when we create things, it could be admirable, it could, could be good, but there's inconsistencies, there's flaws. I mean, you know, I tend to kind of give my father-in-law a hard time when I'm up here, you know, in one way or another, meaning verbally. And, and I will have you know that a few weeks ago, I took him to a antique outlet in Lawrence, Massachusetts on a Saturday morning. I sacrificed a Saturday morning to take him to this antique outlet. How's that? No one's applauding me. Nobody's thinking it's a good thing. He's giving me a hard time when I give him a hard time. It's okay. Well, you know, what brought me there was back it up several months, and it's Christmas time. And, you know, the way we do Christmas at my home is we open up the gifts a Christmas morning, and then we have a brunch, and we're about to open up, we're about to get to the gift giving, and Chrissy's like, wow, you know, oh, we shorted my dad. Like, you know, we don't, uh uh-oh, I don't know if we didn't have anything for him, or we had much less than we had for mom and the kids. Uh, He's an easy guy to short. It is what it is. So, um, so I'm like, no problem, I got this. I'm a creator, I create things, I can do this. So I went on, on my computer, I went online, and I looked up, typed in, you know, best, biggest antique places in Massachusetts, oh, Canal Street Antique Outlet, Lawrence, Massachusetts, about an hour away, I'm good. So I print out a picture of the place, the, you know, there's a picture online of the, of the place, I, I print it out, and I kind of, on the, I, on, I put in two columns and I type in on the other column, gift card, 50 bucks, Mary, you know, all the nice stuff. I fold it, I get an envelope, and I'm like, just give it to him. She's like, but that's not a gift card. I said, it's a, I said as far as he knows, it's a gift card. He's loved, he's good, he's happy. And next couple of weeks, we'll go out there and, you know, we'll purchase a gift card from them in, purpose, in person and we'll swap it out. And every, nobody will be harmed, he'll be good, you know? So, so we were all good, and you know, one day I'm hanging out with Christy, probably about like a couple of months ago, a few months ago, and she gets a call from her dad, and she's like, "What's wrong?" Well, her dad is at the Canal Street <laughs> Antique Place outlet in Lawrence, Massachusetts. It just so happens I haven't had the chance during these several months. I forgot about it. You know, I mean, I had my mind on Christmas, on the brunch. It just it left me. And so Lloyd got in his car one day and took his gift certificate and drove out to Lawrence, Massachusetts. And he goes and spends like two or three hours getting his own little goodies and knickknacks. And he goes to the counter. <laughs> he puts everything down and he gives the lady, he says, here's my gift certificate. She said, this is a picture. This is a gift certificate. It's a picture of our place. He's like, no, no, that's a gift certificate. She said, no, no, this is a picture of our place. He's like, no, my son-in-law gave that to me. It's a gift certificate. She says, no, sir, I'll call my manager, but this is not a gift certificate. Manager comes, it's a picture of our place. <laughs> no, it's a gift certificate. So Lloyd had to put everything back, and he called Christy, and he's like, what happened here? And Christy looked at me, and you know, there we go. So what happened there? Well, I created something. Well intended. Maybe you don't muck it up as bad as I do, but the point is there's voids, there's gaps, and there always will be, you know? That's why I know I didn't create God. You didn't create God, but God created me. You know, God in his grace and his mercy created me. I don't think that what we are and what we have happened by chance, you know? This chancing, that'd be like you walking through the woods in some trail, watch you sit mountain, and you come across an iPod. Pad, pod, pad, pad, let's go with pad. 
and, and, you, and you know, and there it is, and, and it's got the steel and the glass, and, and, and you think it randomly happened? Like it just, you know, I don't mean that it randomly got there even, but that, that it just came together randomly. All the elements, the components. There's even some apps on it already, you know? And one of, the, and, and one of those apps is a Yankee app, right? To follow the Yankees as they make their climb for first place in the World Series this year. And, and, and it, just, it just randomly got there. By chance, it all came together, the circuits and the glass and the steel and the app. But that's of course not. A man named Steve Jobs had this dream. He called together other intellects. They came together and they, and they in, intentionally and intelligently designed and built the iPad, yes? It didn't just happen by chance. You and I have not happened by chance. What is the logical, honest answer when you look at the birth of a child, when you look at a mother holding a newborn child, when you look at all of creation and, and the mountains and the oceans, what is the logical answer on how this came to be? And it is that there is a God and he's created everything and he's created you and I. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is really, really important to you because if God created you, then he has a plan for you. Steve Jobs had a plan for the iPad. God has a plan for you. And that begins by you worshiping him, truly adoring him, and by him glorifying himself through you. Yes, you, that you would be, God would choose you to glorify himself through, to show all the world truly this is my creation that I delight in, and I am going to live out through this being, and people will know I created this person. You are not some mysterious bunch of goo or some mysterious bunch of matter that came to be from something impersonal, randomly. No meaning, no purpose. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The very fact that we have a personal creator who created us in his image, no other deity had made such a claim up to this point of this being written in Genesis. What does that translate to you? God created you in his image, that you are valuable. That's the truth, that there is worth to you and your life, no matter what your physical condition is, no matter what your economic status is, no matter what your relational circumstances are, you are valuable because God created you, and you've got to believe that. You've got to get up every morning and face your day with that foundational truth. I was created by God, and I am valuable, and God is going to glorify himself through me, and I will adore and worship him. This must be the foundation of your faith. You are valuable because you were created by a personable God who you could know. No matter what you've been told, and it goes both ways. You are not valuable because of your economic status, because of your social condition, or because of any relational situation. That is not what brings you value or worth, but it is you being a child of God and God creating you. Many people walk around life with this, what I call, often you'll hear me say this term, a narrative, an inner a narrative. It means that they're telling themselves a story and that and everything they hear and see is filtered and, and interpreted to become part of that story. 
And it's an ongoing one. And for some, many people, it starts with somewhere in there, I am not worthy, I am not value, there's something inherently wrong with me. I'm not moving away from that we are inherently sinful creatures. What I'm saying is that we are creatures that God created, that he delights in, that he will glorify himself through, that God will take very little and make it into something wonderful. And so what happens when people walk around life thinking that way, that this narrative that there's something wrong with me, I'm not worthy. Well, what happens is they live out desperate lives. You could be rich and live out a desperate life. You could be poor and live out a desperate life. You're motivated by the same thing. Often these people will do what they can to control, to control their lives. So one might be controlling hundreds of people, one might just trying to be controlled, one person even just control their little circumstances and their little world. They're controlling. And it's the irony is that's what you saw in all these Jurassic World and Park movies, is that men and women were trying to control nature, right? And, and there's quotes, and they talk about, like, that's the mistake that's being made here, is that hum humanity, humans are trying to think they can control nature and bring the nature, and bring nature under their power, and that just simply will not happen. They cannot, we cannot control everything. But God can, because God created you. And you know that when you get up, I don't have to control my world. I don't have to get everything right. I don't have to know all the answers to everything. I don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow. God is in control. I'm trusting in my God. He's created me. His fingerprints are all over my existence. Look. Look to creation. Look to the cross. Look to eternity. I say this often, and I'll kind of put it to you this way. You'll often hear me say creation has got to mean something to you. What I mean by that is saying these are terms we hear a lot, and I think they just get very dull or simpli you know, over simplistic, meaning it doesn't really, it's not just simple, it's simplistic. It doesn't really mean much to us anymore now. But it has to, that God created you. Another one is eternity. I'll say it's just the fact that there is a place in heaven for you, it's just got to mean something to you, meaning it's got to rise up in you. It's got to give you an inner strength. It's got to bring calmness and peace to you. It's got to flood you with hope. And then right in the middle is that Jesus died for me, and that's just got to resonate in you and, and help you transcend your current circumstances. God created me. Jesus died for me, and there's a place in heaven for me. This has got to be fundamental, foundational in your faith and how you approach this world. Those three things, that's everything, and that's got to lift you up. That's got to help you see above and beyond anything that's going on. That's got to just really fuel you and inspire you in how you live out your life and how you make decisions. God cares about you because he created you, and that's your inner narrative. My inner narrative, first and foremost, is God created me, Jesus died for me, and there's a place in heaven for me. Psalm 103, verse 13 through 14, says the Lord is like a father to his children. That's very personable, isn't it? Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. We're not talking about a cowering, we're talking about an, an, you're, you're in awe of God, you revere God. Verse 14, for he knows how weak we are, how does he know how weak we are? Oh, he created us. And he remembers that we are only dust. God caring for you is not a thought. It's not a nice cliche. It's not a feeling. Caring is action. 
I say this, oh, I say this to my children. When we say we care, we're saying that we have taken action or we're going to take an action, right? Caring is about acting out and doing something. God cares for you. God is close to you because he is a loving father, and that's what loving fathers do. They care for their children. So let's not be anxious. Let's not be desperate. Let, let's not think we have to take control. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and this is Peter saying this, says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. What an incredible verse. How comforting. Give all your worries to God, for he cares about you. And when Peter writes this, he's not writing this like life is awesome, life is great, marriage is awesome. No, he's writing this in times of difficulty and in pain. He's swamped. And when you are swamped with difficulties and uncertainties, cast your cares upon God, upon the Lord. He cares about you because he created you. God is near to you. He is with you. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Acts, it's what we call uh, the sermon to the, of the unknown God. And what's happening is he's, he's hanging out with a bunch of kind of Greek, we'll call them philosophers, philosophers, educators. They're the thinkers of his time. And he's in a, uh, you know, and he's in a kind of a, a, a forum that's like a small theater, if you will. But it's a good number of people that are there. He's got a pretty good-sized audience. And what's happening is around him and all around, you know, this, this, if you will, kind of theater is these statues all representing a god because they had a god for everything, the Greeks. They, they had a, every aspect of life. They had a god for rain. They had a god for grain. They had a god for sex. They had a god for the sun. They had a god for children of this age and children of that age. But then Paul notices this one statue says on it, this, it's a statue, it says, to the unknown god. And he's thinking, wow. So they're saying there's a god out there that we haven't met. We don't know him. Well, Paul says, you know what? I want to help you know the God you haven't met yet. And he says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 28, he said, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. That's how he starts off by telling them how to know God. He is the God who's made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Not like you have all these temples that you've built for your gods and they're up there and you're down here. No. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. For one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. Jesus. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they would, would fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of you, your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So this is so far from their thinking that they're thinking, okay, gods were like up here and distant from them, and man made and served things for their gods, and gods were like humans are icky. And yet here Paul is saying, no, he's close to you, and you could find him, and he's personal. He's a personal God. In the movie Jurassic World, the movie ends with the... Um, dinosaurs that were rescued leaving the dinosaur kingdom, hence the fallen kingdom, and coming over now into the United States, right, into our world, into our kingdom, if you will. 
and then we get this peak of what's coming in the next movie. And I want to tell you this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus was saying here is this is how you want to pray to God. This is how you want to approach God when you're speaking to him. You know, that you would have, you would live out your life in his kingdom and for his kingdom, and his will, will then would be done in your life. So I would say to you this morning, do you want to live out your precious life, your precious days on earth, living for a fallen kingdom? Because I'm telling you, all that is around us is depraved, it's corrupted, it's temporary, and it's fallen. Or would you decide today that, you know what? God created me. I am valuable. Jesus died for me. There's a place in heaven for me, and I am going to live out my life for the kingdom of God, that God will glorify himself through me. With all my thoughts, with all my time, I'm going to live out my life for an eternal kingdom. And that is because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's because nothing plus nothing equals nothing, right? And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my friends, those who you've created, oh God. Thank you, oh God, that you are close to us, that we could begin to understand you and know you, God, and have this personal relationship with you. Thank you, God for making us in your image, oh God. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to give his life for us so that we could be in the right position to know you, oh God, and we could have this clean start. If you are in here today and you do not know God, well, how about right now? How about right now you come to know God? How about right now you turn to God and thank him for creating you? You realize the value and the worth that your life has. You know and believe that Jesus gave his life for you. You turn to God and say, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for living out in a way that didn't believe in you, that acted apart from being your creation, that thought you were made up, but today, I sense you. I know you're near. I have sought you and I have found you. Today, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today, I'm thankful that you've reached out to me. I'm so thankful today that you have created me, your one and only child. In Jesus' name, amen.